You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Let's get nerdy about it. We're going to be talking a little bit about data. Sorry if uh, the nerdy joke is too much. I couldn't help myself. I've got Kevin Stoffman. He's the global head of innovation at Cherry. And what a time to have him on the show. Uh, Kevin and I met months ago. Uh, we're actually at the Blueprint Conference in Vegas. And, uh, you know, sometimes you meet people and you're like, we, we've got to be long lost friends. It kind of feels like that. Anyway, Kevin's going to be breaking it down. He's only five days on the job at the time of this interview. And we're talking about Cherry as they are a leader in real estate data and insight. One of the things they do better than anyone else or many others in the, in the industry, I should say, I'm not picking favorites, but they connect decision makers to accurate property and market information. That makes them faster, make better decisions, creating a true single source of truth. Um, and in real estate, you know, that's going to give you a lot of abilities, evaluating opportunities, identifying or spotting trends faster, more accurately, and ultimately at the end of the day could save tens of thousands, if not up to millions of dollars, as of course, it's going to reduce the operations expense of just manually tracking some of the data, also the expense of making mistakes in that manual efforts that that can cause. We get into all kinds of stuff in here, um, but Kevin really doesn't hold back. He gives it to you as it is. Let's jump in, hear what he has to say. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have you on. This is been a long time coming several months at least <laughs> several months we got a chance to finally meet in person at the blueprint conference this year in vegas what's your overall take on the blueprint conference do you recommend will you go next year uh yes but maybe not for the reason people might expect uh look there's no shortage of prop tech companies trying to get their name out there, get attention from potential buyers and clients and investors. And Blueprint was far and away the best conference for combining the prop tech companies themselves that may partner with one another and the capital sources that make them run. So there was a, mm. a bunch of venture capitalists, family offices, and prop tech companies all together. Uh, what seemed to be a little bit lacking were like the end user buyers at the enterprise level that a company like Cherry focuses on, right? The, yeah. the largest owners and operators, there weren't as many there. Uh, but maybe that'll be, you know, different next year. So, you know, uh, Vic, David, if you're listening to this, uh, I have some, some names you should reach out to. Boom. There it is. We're going to, we're already just scheming away for uh, <laughs> Blueprint next year. Uh, I saw the tickets are on sale. Um, and, you know, I did have some conversations with Vic, and I, I want to revisit some of those conversations. We, we weren't able to pull off how could we do some on-site production. I was running around with a camera and kind of like freestyling it, trying to figure out what it is we wanted to do. Uh, I think it'd be cool to do live podcasting. It's just a challenge of where can I get it quiet enough? 
because in the conference hall it was just too it was just too loud and i i can't i can't separate the noise of all that background yeah so we'll a lot of a lot of conferences so Cretech does this uh realcom does this they have dedicated spaces inside the conference hall where they are like streaming live recording things and actually yeah. blueprint did it david did a bunch of interviews for people uh in its own dedicated space uh i don't know if you would call prop moto uh, a competitor at all because they you know they no problem are some time. friends Franco uh, shout he, out to Franco yeah he's he's awesome love what he and his team are doing there they they have done this two years in a row at Blueprint they have like rented out a, a sizable room where you mm. can just come and work and hang out it's extremely quiet and you can check emails and it's just like a super dedicated space you could probably like be interviewing some folks in there so you should, y'all should probably connect yeah yeah well well we, we we did have a few different discussions there but uh yeah. well let's let's jump into it yeah. uh first things first congrats on the new role at cherry you're uh thank you what number of day is this uh as we stand here sit here recording this is day five day five day five it is you're at cherry um and i know we kind of jumped into a whole bunch of things already but go ahead introduce yourself let everyone know exactly who you are and what you're doing at cherry yeah, Kevin Stoffman. I am Global Head of Innovation for Cherry, and although we are headquartered in New York, I'm based in Dallas. I have to update my notes here because I didn't realize it was Global uh, Head of Innovation. Yeah, it, you know, it sounds fancier than it is. My, my first six months, uh, I'm going to, as much as possible, try to concentrate on the domestic market. Yeah, and so um, before we jump into Cherry and, you know, appreciate knowing that you're doing this still while drinking from the fire hose yeah. uh give us a little background you know or, or some detail in your background in both real estate and prop tech that's kind of led to you joining cherry and then as a follow-up to that what was some of or the convincing factors about cherry that made you say hey i want to join this team yeah, sure. Well, I've spent about 18 years in and around commercial real estate, mostly indirectly. Spent a brief stint as an investment banker at Morgan Stanley. Then I got an MBA. Then I spent almost nine years in management consulting across a variety of firms. And the, the great thing about management consulting is you're dealing with a lot of different clients um, in parallel. So I was working with many different owner operators, investors, and advisors. Um, internationally so I, I did some I don't know if I'm allowed to mention all their names but definitely some of the largest uh, capital allocators and operators and publicly traded REITs most of my work was in North America but I did spend some time uh, in the UK in Finland and in Singapore and um, I actually met my previous company uh, Navigator CRE while I was at Deloitte I was you know responsible for evaluating a bunch of prop tech companies wasn't mm -hmm. really called prop tech back in 2016. People didn't really know what to call it. It was like real estate tech, it was built tech, it was prop tech, and you know, Jeff Berman always has a great, great piece about that if you ask him about it at Camber Creek. And uh, but so uh, left the consulting world, uh, served as a navigator's COO for a little over three years. I was employee number ten. Um, you know, we grew that to about 50, 50 folks. You know, a few million dollars in revenue. Uh, expanded into London last year after raising our Series A. Uh, I had never worked for a small company before. I had always worked for pretty massive companies. So it was it was really new learning, mm -hmm. 
the glories and the frustrations of uh, process, people, technology, the combinations thereof, and what it was actually like to uh, have to provide um, service to clients when you don't have pretty massive infrastructure sitting behind you, legal, marketing, yeah. HR, PR, all, all that that came from, especially it's high in my mind from when I was at Deloitte. Um, but so during the, during that time where we were growing our business, uh, we would often run into uh, the Cherry team at many conferences, sometimes uh, when pitching to clients, sometimes as partners. Uh, we partnered together uh, on, on a, a fairly large capital allocator. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention their name, so I won't. Um, but you know, I got to spend some time with uh, especially the executive team uh, and the, the co-founders, Ben and LD, and grew to respect not just the business itself from the outside, but their culture and mm. their values and the way they messaged to the market and to each other and the way that they interacted with other companies within the prop tech community. It, it's always hard in a new ecosystem um, to figure out who's friend, who's fro, who's, who's foe, who's frenemy, um, but it's a small industry. People change jobs all the time. They, they, they jump from, what to, to, from buyer to uh, prop tech user to seller often, right? This is a very incestuous ecosystem. So the way that you treat uh, clients, partners, colleagues, competitors, investors is very important. And I just found uh, the way Cherry does that to be truly, truly impressive. And, you know, like we said, I'm day five, so I'm in full honeymoon Kool-Aid drinking uh, mode. But I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm truly impressed with the quality of the team from the leadership stack all the way down to, you know, the younger folks, how um, proactive they were in reaching out to me, offering help, advice. Uh, I hope Very that cool. Yeah. I distinctly remember the latte machine at the Cretech 2021 conference in New York where I got the little cherry logo uh, drawn into my foamed milk. <laughs> So uh, the, the marketing folks have picked some really cool colors and it just looks cool right on, right on the, 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 on the onset. I mean, there's a lot of data companies in and around real estate um, and most of them I can't remember because uh, they all have like a, a dark background and some like blue or green chart trend lines. Uh, and then there's maybe like a hexagon somewhere floating you know, next to a building, and then there's a name that ends in the letter I or Lee, and you know, and then I, ha I remember nothing else. But Cherry has like broken through the noise. Um, so let, let let's jump in a little bit and get a little bit more practical. What is Cherry working to solve? So, as the real estate industry has grown in complexity and, and size, um, most companies have resorted to a bunch of different data sets and point solutions to make their decisions, right? And when I say decisions, I mean where to find the land, how to get the permitting, what type of building to construct, how to lease it up, how to optimize it once it's built, when to sell it, when to take all of that life cycle out to the market as you build the track record and raise capital. There's just so many decisions that have to be made and it's such a massive amount of money the built world is the largest asset class in the globe uh, and uh, when you think about all those decisions they're often based on data that's siloed in a variety of systems 
So you have core financial data that's going to be in an ERP system like a Yardi or an MRI or JD Edwards or RealPage. You have lease workflows that might sit in a CRM or a VTS or a dotted. You have acquisition pipeline information that could be rudimentary in an Excel or it could be in a deal path, deal cloud, Altrio term sheet. Uh, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg, right? There's hundreds of different point solutions and internal and external data sets. And no executive wants to be an expert in those systems. They just want the information served up in a timely, secure, consistent fashion so that they can accelerate the number of material decisions they make when they run a company. Right? When you get up to the leadership level of a Blackstone, a Starwood, a Prologis, a Brookfield, uh, they don't want to have to search for answers, they just want them to be there. Or if they ask a question, they don't want that to lead to the, their team scurrying off to pull together information, pulling together reports and then talking two weeks later about should I acquire this portfolio? If so, how much should I pay? Should we agree to these lease terms of this large tenant? Is there extra risk from the same tenant other places in our portfolio? Should we rethink the amenity mix in our office buildings uh, where people aren't returning? There's just so many questions that get asked. And what Cherry does is accelerates the ingestion and modeling of that data and then visualizes it in such a way that executives can make decisions ideally faster without sacrificing quality or security or, or any of the things they view as risk. And that's across property type, that's mm. across persona, that's across geographic location. So there's so many complexities that go into building uh, that type of infrastructure. And as your head of innovation, what are you coming in and being tasked with to add to that or to build on because uh, you know innovation sounds like you're going to be changing things and it sounds like Terry's already been aggressive in changing the view of and how work both has performed but also insights are gathered so where do you fit into that and what are you working on yeah the, the good news is uh, if you've ever met LD or Ben they have no problem directly telling you what they think needs to change to make the industry better. Uh, and so this has been a now six and a half year journey for the Cherry team to get to where the company is today, you know, about 130 employees mm -hmm. um, spread across a variety of markets. And uh, my job, first and foremost, at least for the first six months, uh, is to sift through all of the potential partners we could work with. Right? These are other prop tech companies that might feed information into the Cherry platform. These are other service providers who might help make our services more efficient and more effective to the clients that they serve. Right? And there's the, the competitive marketplace, right? understanding who, who we compete with, who we should partner with, who we might want to combine with, um, and where we should take our platform next, geographically, vertically, et cetera. So it's, it's a wide ranging role. Um, and it's, I wouldn't say perfectly clearly defined on purpose, uh, because there's just no shortage of tools out there. Some that are extremely early in an infancy in their seed stage, some that are very mature and are rethinking how they want to offer to the market. 
And Cherry is meant to be Switzerland, right? We will work with any point solution. We will work with any third-party mm -hmm. data set because we are not a data provider ourselves, right? We ingest the information on behalf of other companies and package it in a palatable way so that owners, operators, investors, advisors can use that data effectively. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of, um, the way you put that, it kind of offers up a lot of clarity here. Um, you know, can you name some of the, the, the types of companies or types of customers that, uh, you know, because obviously you're working in real estate, but as I dig a little bit, you're also working with companies that are not necessarily in real estate. So maybe you can go through some of the, like the specific customer type and yeah. scenarios that benefit from using Cherry. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've the, the ones I know I'm allowed to mention, <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're, we're doing a pretty substantial amount of work with Brookfield. Uh, most of that, if for now, is North American assets, but there's a, a vision to go international. Uh, we just started deploying with Nuveen, working with EQT, working with Starwood Capital. Um, there are some publicly traded REITs. There are some small family offices. This, this spreads across property types, so the lion's share of our clients are involved in office, industrial, and multifamily, although we do have a handful of retail and hospitality clients. Um, we also spread a little bit beyond um, asset managers, right? We work with some brokers, Collier's is a big client of ours. Uh, we also work with a couple insurance companies. We work with hedge funds. Uh, I can tell you on no uncertain terms, I am not allowed to mention any of the hedge fund names. We, uh, in the, just the brief five days I've been here, I've been in a couple client meetings where they started off the meeting with, Kevin, welcome to the team. We love this platform. We love working with this team. You are not allowed to mention our name ever and put our logo <laughs> anywhere. We don't want anyone to know that we are leveraging your platform to uh, create alpha and outperform. It's a competitive platform. advantage for them, yeah. is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That but, speaks but, pretty but, highly but, of the platform. Yeah, I mean, I that that's the way I took it after my initial reaction of, wait, you're not, you're not so proud. You would like to help us with uh, reference checks, and like, like, absolutely not, right? Uh, and and that actually speaks to a larger industry trend. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of people like to prognosticate on when will there be a standard industry data model where everyone's sharing information and it's collegial. I am not optimistic that day is coming anytime soon. Uh, mm. Even though most sophisticated real estate companies, whether they allocate capital or they operate the assets uh, or a combination of the two, even though the, the metrics that they measure are fairly similar, uh, some of the ways that they take that data and create unique calculations are extremely proprietary to them and they wanna keep that competitive advantage in house. So let, maybe let's get a little bit of practical about the platform and the, and the tooling here. So, you know, your yeah. um, others, they're, they're able to bring in their data and plug in their data onto Cherry and helps them visualize and make sense of it. Let's start with here. What is it special about Cherry that makes it good for real estate? Well, uh, part of it is just the types of data sources that the, the plot platform has learned on. Right, and the, the bulk of the data that has been fed into the platform. Uh, Cherry has a, a foundational data set that gets fed from a variety of sources. Um, you know, R RCA, Moody's Reese, um, they've built part a partnership with CoStar, uh, and a ton, I think it's, we have 200 
different uh, data partners now, uh, mm -hmm. which which really means um, we have we have ingested a, a set of data from that company on behalf of a client. They have combined that data set that's typically either demographic data, market data, foot traffic data, assessor data, ESG data, right? Combining that information with some sort of internal data set that they are not sharing or that, it, that it's not public, right? It could be their rent roll information, it could be their budgets, it could be their work orders, their capital project schedules, their construction and development timelines, right? When you combine some of that external market data with internal data, you can then do some comparisons, right? How did we perform compared to what we originally underwrote the deal to be? How did we perform recently to what was initially budgeted at the beginning of the year? How does that historical knowledge then cascade into forecasting we're doing for the future to maybe some scenario analysis we might be creating, right? Um, I, most of the analytics have been backward looking and historical uh, in order to accelerate the financial reporting out to important stakeholders, right? Limited partners, uh, JV partners, regulators, um, potential new investors. Uh, but I think the industry will begin maturing into much more forward-looking types of information, which is often more complex to model because you don't have the benefit of hindsight. And there's a lot more variables that and externalities that you might not be anticipating that could uh, blow up the model, even though you've done a lot of preparation. I appreciate you going into that and, and talking through that. And you, you mentioned partners that you're able to work with to ingest their data and, you know, becomes like either a supporting data set or something that, mm -hmm. you know, a customer then can see, and I'm, I'm assuming it's, you know, ran, or not randomized, but it's, it's, it's anonymized type data and aggregate. Um, well, I'll give, I'll, give, I'll give a couple examples. So if I am an office uh, REIT and I've had a lot of challenges over the last few years, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what were my age receivables, collections, delinquencies, and abatements during COVID? And how did that compare to numbers pre-COVID, numbers during the initial stages of COVID, numbers once the vaccines were introduced in COVID, uh, numbers when the lockdown orders began to disappear in different municipalities uh, how did collections change and and how can i now model out where i think i'll, I'll have to do abatements or blend and extend lease agreements with tenants right? and mm -hmm. as we were as we were getting through covid there was the additional complication of new return to work models people no longer being in the office five days a week maybe they're only coming in three days a week uh, or maybe they're choosing not to commute all the way into headquarters. They're going into a different office location, which is in a satellite near their home. Uh, maybe they're doing more co-working space. So if I'm the landlord, how does that affect my negotiations with my tenants? How does that affect uh, rent collection, rent roll planning, rent escalation planning? How does that then lead to the underwriting and the valuation of the building? Do any of those things affect the maintenance staff I'm going to keep around in the building? Does that affect um, access mm. control technology I'm going to use? Do I need to measure ins and outs or just ins? Does that affect whether I want to have more food and beverage um, amenities to keep people around and coming into the office building? Do I need some sort of entertainment facility inside the building? There's just so mm -hmm. many questions that happen. But the data sets for that are all over the place. 
right? My rent roll data is going to be in Yardi or MRI or JD Edwards. My um, underwriting models are going to be in Argus. My uh, energy and output data could be measured in ESG. I might need to measure foot traffic data in and around the building that I don't have. Maybe I'm getting that from Placer AI. Uh, yep. it's, it's, so combining all this together um, can help me decide as an executive, uh, should I lease to this tenant? Are they safe in their credit rating? Uh, should I give them a deal because they have other lease exposure to other buildings in my portfolio? Um, Mm. Am I getting uh, LinkedIn job opening data fed into me to know that they have a bunch of hiring positions open, meaning that they're growing? Uh, have I had access to their 10Q so that I know that financially they're a healthy company that two years from now will still have money to pay my rent? Like it's just, there's so many data sets that would go into whether an office landlord would choose to work with a particular tenant or build in a particular amenity, or in some cases, right, of outdated office buildings should I repurpose this building? Because no I was just going to ask you that because that is, that's, uh, you know, Twitter has been lighting up with articles about this. Um, and I have asked this in the past and, um, then got educated really quickly by smart people who are like, let me tell you all the reasons why this stuff doesn't work. Um, <laughs> and then, well, I think this last like two weeks, there's certain so buildings, certain buildings, they might not have a choice. Um, if you're in a, a you know high urban density class A office building, um, vacancies likely haven't suffered enough to justify that type of work. Or mm. due to union costs uh, and access to supply chain materials, um, they might just find that the economics don't pencil, right? Because rents are already pretty decent. How much could you really increase them? if you change out some of the floors into more residential. Uh, sure. Like, and then yeah. you're completely changing the um, design of the building, right? Ceiling heights are often, you know, quite high in office buildings. You want to be a little lower in residential buildings. The elevator banks are going to be different. Access to, you know, trash chutes or laundry or other services, right? Like, it's completely different. But if you're in a eight-story Class B office building uh, right off the highway near a retail center, with a bunch of residential housing around you and the building is 75% vacant and you would basically be better off just completely demoing the building, mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that, that's not cost effective to rebuild a new office tower. Could you put a skin on the outside and because it's a class B building, the ceiling heights are already a little bit lower, that adheres a lot more to residential, uh, there's only two hallways. That's easy then to build floor to build floors of multifamily units that then feed into the central ecosystem. So all of a sudden, yeah. the costs become a little more reasonable, and you're already close by to all the retail amenities that a multifamily person would want to see. And oh, by the way, there's a shortage in that particular geographic market, so it starts to make sense. Got it. Appreciate you going into that. I want to talk about the the, the partner network. Obviously, yeah. one of the concerns is going to be, how do I know this data is any good? I mean, that that's the common complaint about real estate data today is that, yeah, I have this data tool and it's really cool and it shows me things. Also, I know that I have to basically squint and then, you know, take a shot before I really go with that number because it's just, well, I don't know. It, it could be good. It could not be good. So what, what is Cherry doing to, like, ensure that the quality of the data, what it's ingesting 
and then spitting back out and helping visualize to its clients is going to be as accurate or on point and, and up to date as possible. So we draw a very, very bright red line in the sand about we are the ingestion integration and visualization engine and we will absolutely provide feedback on well there's a bunch of missing data and you need to go back to that source and let them know it's missing or here are some items that don't seem to make sense right you have a lease record in here where the lease end date is before the lease start date obviously that's not accurate right so little things like that are very easy to identify they can be completed through automation and rules and completely remediated but we're not going to know that a particular lease comp is not fully accurate, right? That, that, that is not Jerry's responsibility, right? That is the source's responsibility to get the right data. So what we've learned is two things. One, if you torture the data enough, it will confess to anything. So don't just trust the numbers in front of you, you know, have, have some experience and skepticism that's brought into the analysis of that information. But number two, the more sources you have, the easier it is to triangulate to the averages that allow you to call out the outliers that don't make a lot of sense. And what we've learned with having you know 200 data partners, and obviously I'm only five days into this, but I've seen this over the last three and a half years at my previous company, we integrated a bunch of data sources as well. Um, what you'll learn is any data source can convince a couple clients that their information is good and they get some traction and maybe they have a flashy website. but after a couple of years and a couple hundred clients may have you know tested them out right the cream rises to the top so the best data sources end up getting used by a bunch of clients and best can mean a lot of things right i don't meet a lot of clients that absolutely wholeheartedly love costar but a lot of alternatives have popped up and people are saying, well, at the end of the day, even though I don't love it, for what I'm trying to do, it is the data source I rely the most on. And at the end, and if I'm going to press buy or I'm going to send this OM, I, I trust the data enough to do that. Right? And there, mm -hmm. there are other, if it comes to comps, right, there's other their models, right? There's Moody Reese and there's CompStack. I think CompStack team is doing a great job in certain property types in certain geographic regions. Uh, but the more clients that use a particular data type, uh, I think the the more of a market signal it sends to us that we want to have them as a partner so that our clients have a seamless integration experience. Yeah, very cool. And I mean, obviously, you know, the, well, I appreciate the uh, just the analogy that the more you torture the data, eventually it will confess. I, I think I'm going to start using that for my marketing reports of like, are you guys sure this is the right number? Let's just, I mean, I don't know what questions you need to do or if you're literally like throwing water onto your laptop to get it to, you know, give you the right answers. But um, I think I'm going to start try, taking that. I tried the second method uh, that I think that resulted in a trip to Best Buy to visit with Pete's <laughs> Zero, I, 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 zero stars do not recommend see see it's the, the poor laptop takes all the punishment my um total digression here but my my trackpad on every laptop i've ever used it takes about two weeks and that really nice like gentle touch to click is gone because it's just dented because every amount of ever tension ever is just put into every click and that's how i stay nice and stress-free uh, but poor, poor laptops, man. I just, 
Well, the, One of the these great days, news someone's going to start charging uh, me for my, my own young work children. My, my kids, um, even if I'm treating the, the laptop extremely well, uh, my, my five-year-old or my two-year-old will walk in and make sure that if I'm not beating up the computer enough, they will happily uh, introduce some carnage into not only my laptop, but anything else that's in my office. Nice. I apologize for the scratching noises in the background. My dog is literally knocking at the door, and I'm not going to let him in. Um, that's what happens with him. Uh, Kevin, you were previously a customer. Uh, you know, you, you worked on the other side, so you were buying Cherry, so to speak, here. You were using it from a customer perspective. Two or three things that stood out, like, hey, this really changed my workflow. This is why we knew this was a, a sound investment um, from a technical perspective perspective what was it that was a leader clearly in the technical side well the the first big thing was like is my data safe right this is uh, massively valuable information mm. it's going to be the names of the tenants which would be individual people if you're in, in multifamily or student housing or senior housing or you know company names uh, in, including maybe the executives that are part of those deals if you're in office or industrial or retail and you know, we needed to trust that that information, uh, if shared from one system to another or into the platform, uh, was not only like encrypted and safe when you were you were sending it through or when it was sitting in our own system, but that it didn't act, wouldn't accidentally be shared with people within the buying organization or the investment partners or the regulators or the competitors. Right? They couldn't see all of the data. This happens a lot with, say, an operating partner who has multiple LPs, right? And that operating partner manages 25 properties. And five of the properties have LPs A and B invested, and five of the properties have LBs, LPs A and D, five of the properties have LPs B and C. And so when, when they're looking to access information, they should only see the information relevant to their investments. And that could be flipped around. Right? If I'm an investor and I rely on multiple property managers that I allocate capital to, um, I want to make sure that when they provide all of that information back to me and then I send it out to my investor partners, like only the right audience is seeing the right set of information for a variety of reasons. One, for just proprietary safety, but two, for uh, relevancy. Right? If I'm, my investment mandate is I only invest in core and core plus properties, but you know, these, these two class B office um, renovations into residential towers that are clearly seen as opportunistic or value add, like that's not going to be relevant to me. So, so relevancy is, is super important. And then I think the, the last piece would just be um, like depth and breadth. I, I, I would never want to be the first company to try something, right? The first investment sales broker for multifamily the first publicly traded industrial REIT uh, in the UK, right? It's like I, I, the kind of who else have, have you already done this for that looks like me? And, you know, Cherry has, you know, spent many years, you know, getting initial clients in many markets across many property types for many personas and learning what it is that they need. Um, and, like, that's going to be a big part of my focus is just a listening tour and getting customer feedback what do you love about this platform? Um, what do you wish would be better? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I think so many early stage prop tech companies, we are so worried about go, 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 grow, 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 that 
sometimes we forget that our best sources of feedback are our current clients because if they complain, it's because they care, right? They are paying us good money. And like, if they didn't, if like, if they, if, if the real danger is you don't hear anything from them because they've stopped using the platform and they don't care anymore and they've decided to move on. Like some of the best clients like can be sometimes your most annoying initially because they give you a bunch of feedback and they say, here's additional functionality I want. Here's extra data I want to see. Or here's use cases I need. And then not only do they become wonderful long-term clients, they become your best references. They can say, look, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't love it at first, but the team stepped up and they gave me some great results and now I really think you should use them. I, I, I like that. And uh, the, the point of even talking to your customer, there's something about that that um, I shared with you one of the, the mottos I take with me when working with different teams. And another one, which I, I stole it, okay? So I didn't, I didn't come up with this. Your uh, secret is safe with me. And yeah, the well, let's not tell anyone about this. Yeah. But, and, and actually, it comes from uh, the Steve Jobs biography written by Walter Isaacson yeah. and he talks about um, I don't know who it was that was speaking wisdom to Steve Jobs but he had a mentor or someone that was talking to him and he gave him three tenets for marketing and one of them was to have it, it was a, on empathy for your customer and to, to know and understand your customer better than anyone else and when you think about that from you know take a step back like to have empathy for your customer and to know them better than anyone else and to like really think about their problems and well, how else would you do that? You would, you have to talk, you have to talk with them. You have to listen to them. This is why I go crazy. Literally when, when I've got on the show and thankfully you're on Twitter, but when I meet people who are not on Twitter, I'm like, guys, prop tech, you know, you're missing out because the real estate operators, the fund managers, the, the property managers, the people on the ground in the day to day, who are going to be your end customer are talking about their wins, their losses, their frustrations all day long. And so as part of my, my crusade to get everyone on Twitter, I'm going to go ahead and take this 15 seconds to plug my own campaign. Please get on Twitter. If you're listening to this and you're a prop tech, you're missing out if you're not on Twitter. Um, you convinced oh, me. Uh, yeah, I boom. Was, I, I was a skeptic for a while. I would, I will admit the, Twitter reminded me of like the Yahoo comment walls, the bathroom stalls of the internet back in the 90s I was on it. Uh, but what I learned um, was for some reason, uh, people don't do this on LinkedIn, people don't do this on, on Facebook, but on Twitter, they are, uh, they have this like shield of maybe not having their profile picture on there or that they use maybe a slightly different name. And so they feel this like, shield of confidence and anonymity and they will just let loose on what they like or do not like about a company or individuals inside a company and just by following some of the right people on twitter not even in engaging with them directly like you know with with direct messages you can just be a fly on the wall and learn a lot and it's like dense learning you can go on there for 15 minutes a day and, and learn quite a bit it doesn't need to be a massive time commitment totally um, I want to ask your or get, get your thoughts here on what companies might get wrong when they're thinking about their data strategy, infrastructure, what I should be tracking, what other data sources I should be using to enhance, whether it's uh, to you know improve a customer experience through their own product 
whether it's for the purchases you've used the you know the, the example you used earlier of like buy, whether I should buy a portfolio of properties, whether I should lease out to a tenant. What are some of the common mistakes you see that prop tech as well as even traditional real estate companies get wrong when thinking about data? So I'll start by saying I absolutely hate this term because I've heard it so many times in consulting, but uh, so many companies try to boil the ocean. They they think okay. We're finally going to get our data strategy in order. We're going to use whatever metaphor you want about coming from the past to the future. We're going to we're going to upgrade our data strategy. So here are the 17 different systems and data sources we use. Um, how quickly can you integrate all of them and visualize them? Can we have it next week? How much? And it's like, okay, slow down. Um, what do you really care about, right? Uh, and, and that question can be answered in many different ways, depending on it's the slide deck that has the best charts and graphs, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, are you um, are you a, a ground up developer? So do you care most about the land sites and how much they're going to cost? Or are you the GC and do you care more about like where you're going to find proper labor or sourcing materials? Um, are you uh, an advisor? So you care mostly about the like change orders that are happening and how, how is that going to blow up your budget? Um, if you're in leasing, um, do you care just about getting the best, highest rent per square foot? Uh, or do you care about getting to the highest uh, occupancy rate, which sometimes might come in conflict with one another? Um, the way I like to think about some of these decisions is, are they material to the enterprise value of your company? Right? If you spend time worrying about rent roll information, that's important because that's probably going to drive overall net operating income in the building and therefore the valuation of the building should you want to sell it down the road. Um, spending a bunch of time deciding whether or not you want to put like a living wall in the lobby and measuring a bunch of data about foot traffic into the lobby and the personas and the demographics who are there, that could be important, but there's probably a lot of other priorities. Um, a great example was we, uh, the client will remain nameless, but we did a bunch of work around access control because they wanted to know um, due to COVID and due to decreased foot traffic, would they be able to reduce the uh, internal maintenance labor inside the building. And so they spent a bunch of money implementing multiple access control systems across multiple buildings, sending us all of that data. We were getting the feeds nightly, building a data model. We did all of the work. We visualized the traffic in, the timestamps, the badge numbers, um, even like reserving of check-in desks and conference rooms, and it was great. And then what we discovered was they hadn't built the infrastructure for to track when people badged out. So like all we knew was they showed up. We don't know how long we were there, right? The, the system wasn't set up to track multiple swipes in a single day. So if they left for lunch and then came back, we, the client didn't know, right? Uh, so were they leaving the office building and eating lunch somewhere else? Were they utilizing the food and beverage options that were inside the building? Don't know, right? And even if they did, right, would that knowledge 
change uh, cause a renovation to the building, right? Cause renegotiations with some of the current tenants because they weren't getting the point of sale spend or traffic, right? It, it, there's, there's so many of these little decisions and at the end of the day, these are real estate companies. Most of our clients are investors or operators. So what's gonna help you know, increase income and valuation of the building? That is always where a client should start with their data. And I do that long-winded uh, explanation because there is no shortage of talk about ESG and how important ESG data is. And, um, you know, there's, I mean, Fifth Wall has raised, I don't know, a couple billion dollars around PropTech and a size of- Well, they just closed their most just, recent fund was under one, one billion, just yeah, under a billion. Yeah, 860 some, million yeah. something dollars, right? And a, a big portion of it is designed specifically for carbon re- reduction and, and climate mm-hmm. tech. And those are obviously very worthy, very lofty goals, but- um, and there's some regulatory uh, tailwinds that are going to carry some. Co- I, mean, right. co- I mean, New York City alone, the the regulations in New York City for carbon reduction and carbon capture. Uh, I mean, you either face massive fees or you innovate. And if your payback period can be five or ten years on a system in the building that can both accurately measure capture and reduce and remove the fines it becomes a no brainer to, to invest in that. And of course, then as a, as a prop tech, if you can be the facilitator of that, and of course as the VC, well, it makes sense to put a little money behind that. I mean, New York city is kind of a small city. (laughs) You know, it's minuscule, but, but, but the question is, does that decision, does that investment, does that analysis need to be priority one and it happens in the next 180 days or if you're a company that has not yet centralized, aggregated, modeled, and visualized all of your core financial and operational information, shouldn't that come first? Shouldn't you do all the blocking and tackling of running the business? And then once that model is built and once you've got you know a variety of mapping views and reports and dashboards where you're comfortable making everyday you know leasing and marketing decisions, then could you build on top ESG? And, and not just... You know, it, it, and when people say ESG, they think only about the E, right? They think about energy spend. They think about lead certification. They think about energy star ratings. But I would go beyond that and think about connectivity, right? Well-building certifications, wired score, right? I would mm. think about social and corporate governance, so the protection of data uh, against potential breaches and the insurance premium people are having to spend to make sure their data is secure or be, you know, and that's why obviously using a platform like Cherry that's SOC compliant helps a bunch. There's also the evaluation of, of governance data and representation. So what does your board look like? What do your employee makeup look like? What does your tenant mix look like? There, there's, it could go so deep, but oftentimes it's not going to cause a material change in the short term to NOI. And so it's a decision that likely could be secondary to your core information. Very cool. I appreciate that. Kevin, we're going to jump to the bottom of the show here segment you're familiar with that I like to call for the future where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. You know, three of the four. So there's a curveball in here and it's a possible one to answer, but are you ready to play? I feel like I'm about to spin that big wheel 
on the Price is Right. It's like a big <laughs> moment. I was gonna try and do a uh, opioid spin sound effect, yeah. and then I realized in my head real fast, like that's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. <laughs> Question number one: What does Cherry look like one year from now? Especially considering that you're five days in and have learned everything. Yeah, um, definitely expanded our footprint in in North America. We already have some some of the biggest. Um, asset manager names, but that number will grow massively. We're also, um, we're early days in the UK, Central and Eastern Europe, that expansion will grow. Uh, and, you know, we got our first client in uh, Australia, we will grow the Asia Pacific market. And then probably by a year from now, we'll also be launching the Middle East and Latin America. Very cool. Question number two, and this is the one that's impossible that uh, I had to give you a hard time on this. And you inspired this question. So it's all back on you. Is the discussion of office buildings converting into residential a passing fad, or will we see this to become a longer-term strategy for optimizing existing structures? Oh, wow. Um, most of these trends that are disruptive to the real estate industry seem weird and stupid at the beginning, and then 10 years we look back and go, why were we ever doing it different before? So that, that's a long way of saying, I think this is a trend that's gonna stay and accelerate. In fact, look at what's happening with multifamily, right? It used to be you either signed a year-long lease as tenant or you spent uh, a couple days somewhere and it was like a hotel. Uh, then Airbnb came along and, and blew up that model and said you can book stays for kind of as many or as few days as you want and we'll provide the tech infrastructure to deal with that. And that's caused a, um, a proliferation of interesting companies like placemaker and alfred and central mm. and we're completely rethinking the model where one part of a building could be like a hotel and the other part of the building could be like a multifamily complex and the other part of the building could be retail and and how we think of where you work and where you live and where you play is really beginning to commingle more that trend is not going to slow down don't mind me as i plug uh, uh an episode where we talked about the convergence of short-term rentals, vacation properties, the hospitality in, uh, industries with the CEOs of a company called Uplisting and uh, CEO of a company called Jetstream. Uh, you can find that anywhere TechNest is streamed near you. Question number three, what's one industry trend do you think will continue but you wish would go away? I should have prepared for this question because I knew it was coming, but uh, off the top of my head, RFPs. Uh, for those who don't know what that acronym is, that stands for Request for Proposal. It is a extremely bureaucratic and time-consuming and speculative process where um, you have to prove that you can deliver the goods and the services before a company will agree to sign a contract. Is the context here just in uh, government or excluding government? Oh, yeah, 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 excluding government. There, there are some particular uh, by law enacted reasons why government entities have to issue RFPs. So I completely understand uh, why they do that. I don't like it, but I understand that that's the law of the land. Private companies do not have that requirement, yet they choose to create this cumbersome process for uh, service providers. And not only it, it, it causes themselves to have to spend a bunch of time doing this before a technology solution is in place. I, 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 there was a video I saw the other day that was making a joke about this where the guy like went to a coffee shop 
and uh, he said, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try this coffee, and um, I'll, I'm gonna go try coffee from a couple other stores, and I'll, I'll let you know like who the winner is for my coffee business uh, each morning for the next six months. And, and like he put this on video and it was with real people and they were just like, security, like, it, it was like, it was like, it's a shock. Like you would never do this for uh, a product. Uh, and so I hope that one day um, RFPs will be a, a thing of the past. All right. Number four, for the future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? So we've already seen this trend happening, but I think it will continue to accelerate. You're, you're just going to use less and less and eventually no paper. Uh, we, we are just mm. moving to, to, to digital everything. Um, the, the, the reasons that, that certain old school industries like law firms and many state real estate companies kept holding on to paper was for uh, security reasons. But I think now um, cloud storage capabilities and you know digital redundancies have created an environment where it's not only easier uh, to access information that's digitally stored, it's, it will actually be more secure due to its redundancy and, and identification requirements. Uh, not only for current access, but for historical access over time. And so the hope is that as companies do this, municipalities will begin to do the same. There, there's so many, um, the, the evidence of, of that I think is pretty overwhelming. Um, probably one of my favorite uh, discussions I've ever had is with Pat Kinsell of Notarize. Yeah. I mean, Pat, Pat is a beast in what he's been able to build multiple times, actually not aside from just notarize. But I mean, like you talk about like an increasingly list, a paperless world, you know, and I gave the example, you know, talking with him. Uh, I was on this app called clubhouse. You remember that one? Oh yeah. For, for about uh, 45 <laughs> days, everyone was on it. <laughs> and I was talking about, I was like, Hey, look, I bought this storage facility Right, and I'm getting ready to sign the closing docs, and they're like, "You have to have wet signature." I'm like, "Bro, I'm not driving to Wisconsin to go sign all this stuff, so you're gonna have to send somebody here." And sure, they did, but then it's COVID regulations, so like, we won't come inside. I'm like, but ain't nobody else in the building. Like, you can stay on one side of the hall. So no, what we were doing in December in Chicago, of course, we picked a location that was a wind tunnel. Is the mobile notary shows up in her Ford Explorer, opens the hatch, and then we both get to stand outside and I'm, you know, freezing while I'm trying to sign the paper. I mean, the pen was freezing, you know, it wasn't even the pen couldn't barely work. You know, it was just like, guys, this is just as absurd. And then it happened again when we bought in our, our, our place in South Dakota, you know, it was just like mobile notary, which would finally come inside at least you know, and sign at a table, but it's like, guys, like this is, this isn't necessary anymore. We, we can get past this. And, um, you know, for those listening, the interview just before this episode with the team from Roofstock on chain, we talk about what it takes to buy residential real estate investments with a single click, literally no paperwork involved. And there's a lot that goes into accomplishing that. And it's the pieces are finally coming together. I think we're going to see a dramatic increase of the velocity as the multiple intermediaries all, you know, have their together, if you will. Uh, and we're finally getting there. So 
Appreciate that one. Well, yep. Kevin, we're going to move to the last three here. These are about you, so our listeners get to know you better. First one here is what are you reading? So this will come as no surprise landing at a new company. Uh, I wanted to make sure I was actually going to add value uh, quickly without you know, busting any norms. Uh, so I'm reading a – well, I backtrack here. I don't have time to sit down and read books. I wish I did. It's just not something I, I prioritize. So I do audiobooks instead. So I listen. And to, for any of those that, that do audiobooks, my advice is listen at 1.2x speed. gets a little bit faster without changing rapidly the intonation of the narration so you don't lose the context. That all aside, uh, I'm listening to a book called The First 90 Days. Uh, it's by Michael Watkins. And uh, I, I'm only about 25% through it. Uh, but so far, really, really interesting ways on just strategies on on how to learn as much as you can about a company and how to be collaborative with the, the folks you're going to be uh, working with over time. Um, and the last thing I'll say about that is it, it's super important, especially at a company like Cherry. Um, LD is pretty famous for saying um, there's this cliche that you know your your colleagues are your family members, and he hates that because and he thinks it's not true because you don't choose your family. Um, what you do choose is your community. And so Cherry is a community. And being able to interact in a collaborative and meaningful and efficient way with all of your community members uh, is super important. And so like reading this book is, I think, going to help me uh, be, be impactful at the company. If I don't like it, I'm going to send you a, uh, an email for reimbursement for $25 because I just bought it. Um, <laughs> you can send me a direct message on Twitter now that I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Can't wait to be able to send and receive Twitter bucks. Um, <laughs> number two, who are you learning from? So many people. Uh, obviously, the new team, uh, which which is you know can't be successful without uh, learning from all. And they, these are some really really driven, intelligent people. I've been really impressed in the first five days I've been here. Uh, but but. Just over the last 15 years, like learning from all these great mentors in, in real estate and prop tech, more recently, I think you're part of one of these groups. I've spent a lot of time with the Prop Tech Angel Group, uh, which is run by I, Matt Knight, and uh, Geek Estate, which is run by Drew Myers. And the two of them together, they, they've really, they've built this network of extremely impressive investors and prop tech executives who are quite willing to share what they're doing great at and what they're really struggling with. And, and we often compare notes with one another. And it's been super helpful as like a semi-private place to vent and learn where the, um, you know, the cost of failure is low, uh, but the value of learning and success is very high. Mm, that's good stuff. And Drew, Drew, uh, I mean, one, I think one of the best people hands down in the industry, he is, yeah no ego there's no uh and he delivers on value he's like intent on really seeking to deliver on value uh and leads with that and so uh yeah shout out to drew geek estate um and everyone missing out well that's your problem uh last one here what inspires you so many people on your podcast have said this and i didn't want to say it because i wanted to be different but uh my family uh, my wife and kids, um, they keep me grounded. They remind me why I'm, you know, working long hours and traveling all over the place and doing what I do. And they're also pretty darn patient with my life schedule. 
obviously I spend a lot of time on the road at conferences and, and events and uh, when I'm at home there's, there's just a bunch of virtual calls and I have weird hours uh, and it, it makes me realize and appreciate the value of a support network is when you do this when, when you're uh, an executive at a startup on your own it can there it's really high highs and really low lows uh, and you know having this this network of people who are pretty even keel is and just you know doing really really you know stupid and hilarious things that toddlers do really bring some levity levity when I've had a long day that's very cool yeah I appreciate that I think there's nothing cliche about that I think it's a an admirable uh, admirable answer Kevin, this has been great. Thank you for coming on the show here and uh, changing up the criteria on me here last minute. <laughs> Happy but, to throw some curveballs your way, my friend. Hey, let's keep it interesting. But um, for those who want to connect with you and or learn more about Cherry, where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, so Cherry's website, www.cherre.com. It's an E at the end, not a Y. Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll have my name in the show notes. It's just Kevin and Stoffman. Uh, just make sure if you reach out to me uh, or send a connection request, provide some context, uh, like you heard me on the podcast or met me at that or something, because I'm sure like you, Nate, there's no shortage of random connection requests with like minimal connections in common and no context and no message. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Exactly. And your Twitter handle? K Stoffman. Boom. All right. I thought you were going to leave with Twitter. Like, I thought we were going to follow up and then, like end with that. I was going to be like, no, you end weird. with Twitter. You, the, 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 the grand That's finale true. is the bluebird. Boom. There it is. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks for staying on late with me. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to – I'll see you around before Blueprint. That way we'll get a chance to, to hang out and uh, catch up on things. And I want to hear all the things that you're working on at Cherry from now and then. Yeah, how's the conference circuit in uh, South Dakota? So far, non-existent, but I'm working on it. Hey, look, the Silicon Prairie here is is coming up, uh, and I found two other people in prop tech out here. <laughs> that's uh, that's two more than I was expecting you to say. So there, there, it is a company called Property Meld. They're doing actually a lot and very cool, innovative work in uh, helping property management companies with their maintenance and how that all works. And then uh, some uh, investors actually out towards the Badlands. So um, we're making it happen. We're bringing people in, showing them, hey, this is this is the spot. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to come here, it's fine because mostly no one here wants anyone to come here anyway. So there's that. So uh, I would uh, maybe in the summer when it gets 105 degrees in Dallas and I really just want to leave, maybe South Dakota will be on my list. Hey, there you go. Silicon Prairie it is. We'll catch you later. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.